everybody. It is Sherry from The Writing Glitch. I am here today with Allison Dillard. She is a math teacher and she comes to us after writing several books like Crush Math Experiments, Crush Math. But her latest book that's going to be coming out is about math anxiety, the math anxiety handbook. So I am so excited to find out a little bit more about this book, about what Allison is doing and how she's helping students overcome these emotional outbursts that go along with anxiety, because I guess that's where she especially is, because she's talking about anxiety, but there might be some other things. So let's dig in. Allison, welcome. Sherry, I'm so excited to be here. We met, uh, what, three months ago, maybe? Yes. Yeah. And we've had the conversations. I honestly, truly, we had a conversation while I was in my car traveling because my husband asked me at the last minute to ride with him to do a a business drop off for his business. And I'm like, there's going to be this conflict of time. And so I'm sitting outside the restaurant while he's going inside and ordering. And yeah, that's the least that's what happens when you have a remote business. <laughs> so Absolutely. I do love that. Like the world has gotten used to, to that video conference in the car with the kids running in and out of the background and stuff. It's yes. good. I have a tendency every once in a while, depending on the situation, I let the cat walk through, but I have a tendency <laughs> on these interviews to not let him walk through and he will chirp and carry on at the door for five minutes waiting to get it back in here. But so I don't know. Oftentimes, everybody says, no, they can't hear him chirping, but I do. He doesn't meow. He chirps. (laughs) That's so cute. And that's so we have those things happening where the cat's walking through. And depending on the call, I'll let him in. But today, he's been banned from the room. So without further ado, welcome to the Emotional Kids Summit and this special edition of the podcast just so that we have a companion course that goes with this podcast. So look in the show notes to find out more information. There's all kinds of stuff that we have that we are giving away. But without further ado, tell us, Allison, what is it that got you started as a podcaster on math? Let's see. The podcast, the podcast was just like a step in the journey, right? So I I started writing books before the podcast. And before writing books, I was a math professor at a community college. So that was that's where I started out with math. That's where I I worked with a lot of students who had math anxiety, a lot of students in like remedial math courses, just I don't know, it's like the students who had math anxiety just developed through 12 years from kindergarten to high school, just snowballing bad math experiences to the point that like they're terrified of it. And I'm trying to think. So that was where I started. I got sick actually for a year in my teaching. Oh, go ahead. So did you actually have that like in the the university? Were you one of those people that had like the one-on-one conversations with the kids to help them through the math? Is that how, or were you actually the professor in front of the classroom and they went to somebody else to get tutoring and coaching? So I was the professor in the classroom. So I had 
classrooms of 35, 40, up to 75 students. And so mostly what I was doing, what I did a lot was experiment with different ways to try to help the entire class overcome math anxiety. But I came from a tutoring background, right? So I did that before I was a math professor. And I saw so often the incredible results that you get from working one-on-one with students. And so I spent a lot of time trying to take that and make it work for a larger classroom. Okay. All right. Sorry, I interrupted you. Thank you for clarifying that. Continue. I'm trying to think. I had some health issues. I took a year off of school and that was when I wrote my first book, Crush Math Now. And then that just led to writing the next book and the starting the math podcast, which is the Allison Loves Math podcast. And then that's grown over the last few years. And I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's. Oh, and then I guess I, I hosted the Empowering Math Teacher Conference last fall. And then this this fall, I've got the Crush Math Anxiety for Educators Conference coming up. Nice. Nice. So how many books have you written? Five now. And then I've got the Math Anxiety Handbook coming out in the fall. That should be number six. Number six. Yeah. Wow. In a, in what amount of time? We're talking like two years, three years? Oh, no, I think maybe five years. Five years? Maybe four, what, four so five One years. book a year. Roughly, yeah. I think that okay. I wrote one called the Crush Hypothesis Testing. I think that one took like closer to two years, the statistics one. Oh, that's actually, that's the only one with math in it. All of the rest of them are about how to study math and growth mindset, how to learn math, how to do hard things. So they're a little more motivational than most of the math books. Ah, okay. So we're not teaching two plus two equals five in your textbooks. Right. <laughs> okay. So you're they're not exactly textbooks. So the one that you wrote on probability and statistics was more of a how to do math procedural book. And the rest of them are more conceptual and what to do with changing your mind. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the other ones work for everything from K through college, actually, because developing a growth mindset about math is important regardless of your age or difficulties or math level. Got it. Got it. It's what I'm doing with the dysgraphia and partnering with John Lee with the dyscalculia is we're really looking at what is going on with the mind that's preventing kids from accessing learning. And I try to avoid using the lingo of the growth mindset just because it gets so businessy that then the kids and the teachers go, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you agree though that it gets a little too businessy and then they want to not really listen? Oh yeah. I feel like I guess as educators, we can talk about fixed mindset and growth mindset and all of that sort of stuff, but that's the language of educators, right? And so when we're trying to help students, we need to talk in the language of students, right? Mm -hmm. And just talk to them about, yes, you can figure this out. Yes, learning math is like swimming, the thing that you love, and you can do all of it without the educator lingo. Absolutely. Yeah, know your audience. Exactly. So tell me a story about one of your students that you saw this magnificent change with some of the experiments or crush math techniques that you are including in some of the stuff that you do? I guess the one story that I tend to share with my students the most, because I think her story is helpful for them to learn, is one of my students, Priscilla, who I actually tutored in math. So before I was like a math professor, but her story was always helpful for students. And her story was helpful because so she was a community college student who had 
failed precalculus twice and withdrawn a third time. So she was on like attempt number four, right? And as you can imagine, she had the worst, the worst (laughs) math anxiety and to be frustrated for so long, right? To go so long without figuring out a solution, how to overcome things. So she was definitely the student that I have worked with who had the worst math anxiety. And of course it was completely warranted, right? Because she failed so many times. So she's afraid she's going to fail, but if she's not changed what she's doing, she's just going to repeat her past mistakes. I think the, I guess, flash forward to the end, the thing that's helpful about her was that she did figure out how to pass pre-calculus with a B plus and then got so confident in math and liked it so much that she went on to pass two more semesters of calculus with A's. And so it's just, I don't know, when you make changes, right? When you focus on changing, you know, your actions and your changes, like it's incredible what you can actually do. And students can absolutely 100% do the thing that they failed at multiple times before. Lovely. So what technique was her trigger that changed her brain? Do you remember? You know, I think, gosh, there were so many, right? Because at that point, it's, it's, which I'm sure with students that like, all of a sudden you're like, okay, but the problem's really complex, right? If there was like one single thing that we could do with a student, like everybody would do it. Nobody would have a problem with math, right? So the trouble that happens is when, yes, you've got math anxiety and you panic when you have exams, but at the same time, she's had math anxiety for a really long time and she hasn't been doing well for a really long time. And part of that comes back to the fact that now she also has very weak math foundations, right? And she doesn't have very good study skills because obviously she doesn't know how to study correctly. So there's all of these things that kind of snowball. And in order to get them to succeed, you've got to unpack all of that. So a couple of the really helpful things, just go through tips. I assume that's what we want, right? It's just some sort of tips for people. Like the first one was really to reflect on where her math anxiety came from. My co-author for the math anxiety handbook has done a lot of research on this and she calls it their math story, right? Because just like reflecting on what was that bad experience that first started your negative relationship with math? And a lot of times students can go back and pinpoint, oh, I had that one test that I failed. I had that one teacher who told me I was bad at math. Oh, I just always grew up with mom and dad telling me I was bad at math and they're bad at math. And so I just It's always been that way. But whatever the story is, it helps students to separate it from who they are to becoming, oh, it's an experience and a reaction to an experience. And therefore I can change it, right? With different experiences, then we'll change our feelings about that. So that was one thing that definitely helped her to understand that there's no such thing as not a math person or being incapable of learning math, that it was just this this spiral of negative experiences that landed her where she was. Another thing that's helpful is sharing your own experiences, especially your own struggles with students, especially in math. A lot of people put it up on a pedestal, right? And they're like, oh, there's some people who are just so good at math. They look at me as a math professor. They go, oh, you never struggled in math. It was just always easy for you. And instead, if you're like, if you can share all of the times where you're like, I thought I was going to fail. I had no idea if I had what it takes or I did fail that test. One of the things that was very helpful for my students in my class was the fact that my TA, who was a math major at the time, one of the strongest math students at the school because he was hired in as a TA, he had actually failed math. He failed algebra in high school, you know? And so when you can share those stories of someone who's like them or worse off than the situation that they're in, then all of a sudden they can believe that advice of you can do math. If you're just hearing it from someone who they're like, they've always been good. And they're like, oh, that 
that advice doesn't really pertain to me. It sounds exactly the same thing about with writing is if you can share their story and have them share that trigger and then do a reflection. My thing comes in when with older kids, it works better than the real young kids. My thing came in when I had entered college, I had to write a two-page paper. Back in the days of the electric typewriter, I went through an entire ream of paper. Okay, so those reams of the onion paper were like 25 sheets, but still, two-page paper, 25 sheets of paper, and I still got a C because I still had mistakes. And my mom and I read it together and things like that. It was It was a traumatic experience and I already knew my struggle. So I understand where these kids are coming from. Now you're working a lot with the older students and seeing how that transition from high school to college is creating this gap. Do you see that the kids that are, were coming to you in the community college more of them were struggling than not, I guess is the way I was. Because I often when I think about community college, I think these are the kids that probably had more like C's, averages, and and so they struggled more getting through school. How did they adapt to college life? Is I guess where I'm going with this is did did that high school time prepare them for college time? I think a lot of it depended on what class I was taking. When we're talking about the college level classes or the students were at least able to place into the college level classes, more of them felt prepared. But oftentimes I would teach the remedial math classes and those would go as low as pre-algebra. Pre-algebra is the class you take before algebra one, which is like freshman year in high school. So the students who didn't even place into that. Seventh, eighth grade. Seventh, eighth grade. And those students who... You went through all of high school just to be at the college level and be back at pre-algebra. That's when I would have an entire class of students who didn't feel prepared or weren't prepared. An entire class of students was... 75 students of kids who were not prepared. Yeah. And when you have a class like that, you're just like, okay, it doesn't matter how perfectly I present the lesson. If all of my students are sitting there thinking, I can't do it. I'm just going to fail. 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 They don't even and hear anything. And so that's where I started learning about math anxiety and experimenting with like, how on earth do I get these kids to actually believe that they can do it because then they'll actually try. So you shared a story of one of your students. Can you share something that maybe an elementary teacher could take back to school with her this coming school year that might be a specific activity that might change her math class? Oh, there's so many. It's hard to choose just one. Okay, pick two. <laughs> okay, let's see. So one of the books or journals, is journal, not a book that I wrote, is called the Love Math Journal. And so I created that book with a podcast guest named Nicole Thompson. She had come on because she does a lot of work in gratitude. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that's, it's so cool. It's so important, especially when we're talking about like social emotional learning skills and stuff. And you never see it in math, right? But at the same time, we've got this whole problem of nobody liking math or valuing math or, you know, or straight up hating math. And so we thought like, how interesting would it be to give teachers a tool where they could experiment with gratitude in math class? So it's for fourth through eighth grade. 
right? And it basically just has different prompts about math just to get students to think about like, how does math help them in their life? What's something that I learned in math that was hard that I'm thankful for learning? And just to talk about how we learn math, but in a not a problem solving way, not like you did poorly and now we have to fix something, but just in starting off with a positive conversation about it. And so I would say one one thing that a teacher could do if they were up for experimenting with something totally different to spark different positive conversations about math in their math classroom would be to grab one of those and pull out some different prompts and just have some conversations about the benefits of math and the value of math. Sounds like that way you're gaining student perspective and you're figuring out what's going on inside them, which is called interoception when they're expressing their own feelings. And it really sounds like a life skill. Yes, you're directing it towards math, but it's a life skill. Yeah. And a lot of times students might pick up those skills and apply them to different things, but so often they forget to do that with math. But you're absolutely right. It is a life skill. No matter what it is that we're doing, we should know why we're doing it because we don't want to waste time on stuff that has no value. And that absolutely pertains to our students. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had no idea that's exactly where your focus was. It's no wonder when we got on the phone a couple months ago that we couldn't get off the phone because (laughs) we really are looking at what is happening neurologically in our system that is preventing learning. And okay, so I'm going to go off on a little neuro lesson here. Awesome. I love Uh, it. For the podcast listeners, this is where the limbic system, which is the middle of your brain, we think about the that pink picture that you see when you're looking at a picture of the brain with all the curly, swirly lines and stuff. That's the cortex. But underneath that, there is like this ball of, of matter that is called the limbic system. And inside that limbic system, we have a filing cabinet. We have a filing system. And on, and I use the idea of the file folder as my analogy to explain how emotion works with these kids. Every moment of your day, we have something that goes in the filing cabinet. A folder goes in, a folder goes in. I hate math, folder goes in. That question was really too hard, that folder goes in. And on the outside of the folder, there's an emotional attachment to whatever that memory was that goes alongside it. And so that sticky could be red, yellow, or green. The red is, oh no, I'm never doing that again. The yellow is, oh, that was icky, but maybe I could try that one more time. And green is, oh my gosh, I'm getting back in the water and I'm going swimming one more time because that was awesome. So we have this relationship with math or writing or whatever the subject that is creating this negativity. We need to take the red stickies off and replace them with yellow and green so that we can overcome the fear. And the fear is generated by that smallest organ in our brain called the amygdala. And what Dr. Daniel Amen says is when you have that fight, flight, or fright response, it's called amygdala hijack. The amygdala, the smallest organ in your brain, it's about the size of a pea, is just taking over and blocking everybody's ability to go 
farther in into their brain. So all that material that's coming in through your sensory system is getting blocked. It's nope, nope, no further, no further, no further. We need to open up the floodgates so that all the material can go up through to the cortex so they can actually learn. So <laughs> I get too excited about that, but I wanted to say, let our listeners know that there is a biological connection to the gratitude, to the anxiety, and that is opening and closing that floodgate so that you can access the learning and hack that hijack. (laughs) And I love all of that. And I think it, I don't know, it speaks to, I think, to like the importance of maybe creating some sort of transition period for students who hate math to start, whether it's class or whether it's working in one-on-one with a student, just to have some sort of positive transition to get them in the right mindset. I know one of the experiments that I did with my class was with the book, The Miracle Morning. There's one called The Miracle Morning for Teachers. that one by Hal Hal Epp. Hal Elrod, yes. And so it's, I mean, it's a, it was an amazing book and I was really excited when they came out with one for teachers. And so I did that with one of my pre-algebra classes and basically like they have this sequence of five different things that you do. And for most of them, it's, oh, you do it at the start of the morning to you have your best day, but you can use it as like a transition at the beginning of math time or actually any class time or any tutoring time to just get students in the right frame of mind. So that way they're not just shutting down like you were describing. Yeah. And those are the focus of what John Lee and I are writing in Math Disconnected, which isn't the purpose of this conversation, but inside the summit, you're going to hear more stories about Math Disconnected and what are some of the stories that are involved. John Lee and I are actually going to be revealing some of the characters that are inside the book during the summit. So look for that. Look for those episodes. Definitely. And thinking about students with specific difficulties as it pertains to math, like students with dyslexia or dyscalculia and stuff like that. I guess going back to that original advice of sharing stories and stuff like that, if you have stories of students who have the same difficulty that your child does or your student does, those can be super helpful because otherwise it's very easy to say, oh, you shared the story of somebody who struggled and succeeded, they're, they don't have dyscalculia like me. So it doesn't pertain. And I know one of one of those stories that I share with my students was I was helping a student prepare for the SATs and he had severe dyslexia and he was like great student, perfect grades, had figured, had figured out how to succeed in school, but could not figure out the SAT math section. And this was before it was optional, right? Where everybody still had to take it and stuff. And we basically just said, you know what, we're going to scratch everything, everything that like we've been told about how to study for the SAT and just take it and see where the mistakes are. And then just iterate. And it was like practice test, learn, iterate. And we tried so many different things. And Anyways, I guess just like sometimes when the typical standard advice doesn't pertain to your child, like scrap it. Sounds like a plan. Now, that might cause a little grief to some teachers when you're thinking about (laughs) scrap the traditional education. 
And that's where activities like what Allison's talking about and John Lee talks about some of the things that these alternative math ideas are brilliant. They are so far ahead of their time. So take that time, read these books that Allison has put out and share stories about the kids for the kids so that they can learn as well. Is there anything else that you would like to share, Allison? As far as math anxiety goes, I guess one last thing that could be helpful for students is just helping them to create sort of a process to work through when they get stuck, right? Because it's very easy to just say, oh, you just have to try it. You just have to learn from your mistakes. But it's when they get stuck, right, that the emotions kick in, that just our brain shuts down and they panic and blank out and stuff like that. And I guess the process or whether it's a list of questions to ask themselves or tools to refer back to, obviously that's going to vary by grade, right? But helping your students to know what those things are so that there should always be a question they can ask themselves, right? Or something that they can refer to when they are really stuck that that's sort of the underlying, it's not the mindset, but it's the how-to tool for working through those difficult moments that can be helpful. That, that question that you're referring to about asking yourself isn't, what did I do wrong with math? It's what am I feeling inside that is blocking me from being able to move forward? So what is creating that stuck? Is That's the kind of question you're talking about, correct? I love that you pointed that out because there's actually two different types, right? One is the emotional block, right? But then one's the actual like math concept block, right? And ultimately, they, ultimately they have to be able to work through both of them, right? So yes, the first one is working through the emotions, right? And then once we're able to work through the emotions, then it's working through the actual content, right? Concept, math concepts and stuff, problems. One of the things that you made me think about with that is songs. What is it? The theorem? What theorem? Come on. Oh, What's that, the math theorem? The Pythagorean theorem? Maybe? Pythagorean theorem. Everybody's put that to a song so that yes. they remember how it goes. And what neuroscience says is that rhythm is the one of the core foundations to accessing any higher cognitive function. So putting it to rhythm, and it's one of the things that I teach some techniques with, with the metronome. Very great idea. All right, so I'm allowing our speakers to share something for free here on the summit. Plus, in our companion course, if you want to add something more in there, you're welcome to share some additional materials in there. So, what do you have to offer us today, Allison? Awesome. I think the free event that I have coming up that hopefully can be of most value to people is the Crush Math Anxiety for Educators virtual conference. So it's a free conference that will be coming up this fall. And Sherry, as well as John Lee, will be speakers in it. I'm very excited to have them, as well as just another a number of other just experts in math anxiety, but also just helping students figure out how to succeed in math. And well, in the page below or something, we'll provide the link to sign up for that. And I'm trying to think of what of my different resources would be most helpful for the companion course. The one that sort of comes to mind, and it was a workshop that, that I've been doing with teachers, and it's called 30 Days of Growth Mindset. And it's basically, well, I guess, whether you're a parent or a, or a teacher or a tutor, it, it doesn't really matter. I think having a plan for how, helping students to build their confidence in math, right, their resilience, their grit, having 
a straightforward month-long plan of things that you're going to try out to hopefully help them is very helpful because I I did find that it could be very time-consuming just trying to figure all of that stuff out from scratch and plan it out and what do you do and when and stuff like that. So I do a quick workshop on basically how to plan it all out for a month so it's easy. So you're just like following the plan every day and you don't have to think about it. So I have a recording of one of the live ones that's taken out all of the live stuff, but I can provide that along with some of the worksheets for that. For anybody who's interested in just saying, you know what, each month I want to try something to help my child or my students build their math confidence. That is amazing. That is such a valuable tool there. Wow. Everybody jump on that chance to get into that companion course. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, Allison, tell people how they can find out where you are. What is your website and stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. It's allisonlovesmath.com. So Allison with two L's and you can register for the free conference there. Sometimes I have workshops. I was talking about the 30 days of growth mindset workshop. It depends on what I got going on during the month, but I try to host them at least a couple of times a year. You can find those there as well. All of my books are on Amazon. You can find my author page over there. And of course, I have the Allison Loves Math podcast. You can listen to that wherever you like to listen to podcasts, wherever you are here, actually. So wherever you're listening to this, you can just go jump over to the Allison Loves Math podcast and follow and subscribe. And it's an amazing podcast. I've got to say, she's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a really cool experience learning from so many different math educators. There are so many people out there doing such amazing things. And honestly, I had no idea before I started the podcast. And yes, there are so many amazing things. And now taking all that stuff that you learned about math, apply it as an occupational therapist in the classroom to create collaborative environments with your teachers. Think about how you, the occupational therapist, can take some of those techniques and those life skills, apply them to math and partner with the math teacher at your school. That's my challenge for you today. Very cool. I love that. And then send me an email. Let me know what you did and how it worked out because that all sounds so fascinating. (laughs) And me too. Thank you. Great idea. So this has been Sherry Dotter from The Writing Glitch. I have been here with Allison Dillard. Thank you so much for being here. You have a blessed day. Thank you. Bye.